0: From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. My guest for this episode is Caitlin Andrews. Caitlin and I are colleagues at Creative Force, and we realized recently that we both come from similar backgrounds in the e-commerce creative production space. Caitlin spent close to 10 years prior to joining Creative Force working for Snap 36, working with robotic photography systems to capture 360 spin assets for a variety of brand clients. Much of that time was spent with hard goods, which is where our experiences intersect. For two years, I worked at the small startup studio for Amazon product imaging, where about 80% of our volume came from hard goods, which is defined typically as anything that isn't apparel, shoes, or fashion accessories. In this episode of the podcast, we compare notes on our unique challenges we encountered in our various roles and how we overcame them. So let's jump in with Caitlin Andrews. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Joining me for this episode, my colleague at Creative Force and extremely cool person, Caitlin Andrews. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Nice to be here.
0: So Caitlin, you and I work in different departments within Creative Force. We don't have a ton of opportunity to interact. We have traveled together a little bit for some conferences, but our backgrounds are actually really super similar. We both come from studio backgrounds. I thought it would be cool to invite you on the podcast and kind of compare notes on the last like 10, 15 years of you doing your thing in your sort of section of the industry and me doing my thing. And we'll just kind of like see what we can figure out from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet we know similar people probably from across the board.
0: So that's one of the things that I think is interesting is because you're also one of the people like I don't I didn't know when I was kind of working actively in the studios truly how small the industry was, but you would bounce around. Like a really good example of how small the e-commerce photography industry is is the first day that I got my job at Amazon and I moved to the Midwest to work for Amazon a close friend of mine from grade school was freelancing as a photographer at that studio. And he, cause he had moved to New York to be a fashion photographer and he was like backfilling his slow season with e-com product work yep. <laughs> in my st- So it was like, I mean, that's the kind of thing that would happen for the last 15 years. You would, you'd work with somebody and it was almost a guarantee that you would work with somebody from that studio again in another studio somewhere else, either because you invited them along or just coincidentally.
1: Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts about being in the studio, I think for that long was seeing people grow and like grow into roles that then became a little bit more leadership. And then leadership turned into like going off in a specific direction. Like maybe you started as a photographer, but then you realized you really loved being an art director or being the second hand of the studio or kind of watching those creative minds get better and better and become stronger and stronger. So like that for sure was like one of my favorite aspects of doing that for that long was watching how people just like became these really amazing powerhouses in the studio all over the place. Or even just checking back on somebody who used to work for me as like a product coordinator and seeing now that they're like a marketing VP or something like that. Like it just is really, really spectacular to see how people like grow in a studio environment.
0: Caitlin, why don't you take our audience just a little bit briefly through your background. Like it's because it's really unique. You got to touch a lot of different companies and a lot of different studios in a sort of unique way. So why don't you take our audience through that? And then let's just compare notes about some of the quirks and nuances of the studios that we've worked in.
1: Basically, I worked for a company for very many years that shaped me as a, as a worker, but also as a person. I worked for a company called Snap 36 and it was a big studio based out of Chicago, I started there when there was a group like basically 16 17 people it was one of the first people that really like helped this company grow and their focus was really on robotic automated photography before I think it became mainstream and something that a lot of studios kind of just know as part of their process. We were the ones that you went to in order to figure out how to do that. And we specialized in 360 photography because back then, and I don't want to talk about it like it was years and years ago, but... Like back then, that it was much more affordable for companies to do 360, especially in certain industries than it is to like pay for 3D models or vendors. Right. So like a lot of times, you know, 360s were really great for like parts companies and automotive mm. companies and, you know, B2B electronics companies, you know, like there's all kinds of companies like... You know, Siemens and like Lowe's and Home Depot and Autozone O'Reilly, like these types of companies that require like billions of images, right? So the
0: intersection that made us realize that we could have a really i think a, hopefully an interesting conversation about this. Our audience will decide if it's interesting or not. Uh, but <laughs> but because my so my studio for Amazon that I launched and ran for a couple of years before it got folded into another larger studio was, like, 80 or 90% hard goods. Yeah. And the complexity of shooting hard goods... I mean, it was the stuff that you could buy at all of the places that you just mentioned. Lowe's, Home Depot. We had, like, one big segment of our style guide was called Business, Industrial, and Scientific Supply, which was oh, like... Oh, like
1: 3M, another one of my old customers, yeah. No,
0: exactly, yeah. And, I mean, this style guide was an absolute behemoth. I actually... You know what, I should... <laughs> I should have Dan Hyde back on the podcast to talk about that particular style guide because it was like it was probably a hundred plus pages if you printed it as a PDF. Like it was oh, yeah. it, it was an insane style guide that covered so many things and still probably half the time you couldn't find the thing you were looking for. <laughs>
1: Right. No, totally. Because everything's identified with like a, you know, a 30 character skew, you know, because it's got ports and different wires and colors of wires. And you as a photographer, you as a a creative team have no idea what some of the stuff is. So you don't really know how... Even to begin to shoot it. So this it makes a, the process a lot yeah. harder.
0: <laughs> I know. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump over you there. No, but This you're is good. the thing we talked about with Granger when uh, Jen came on the podcast from Granger a while ago, oh, which is a big part of Jen. their. Yeah, Jen's amazing. Uh, hi, so Jen, beautiful. by the way, if you're listening. I don't know. Hopefully she listens. Uh, friend she friend listens. of the show. We'll, yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> a big part of her process getting product into their studio was like, Helping the creative teams identify which way was up on the thing that they're supposed to be shooting, right? So she told oh, yeah. this anecdote. It was actually, it wasn't on her. I don't. I think it was on the Studio Nightmares episode that she came on when she talked about this. <laughs> they just they did it low tech, a post it note with like an orientation arrow. Like this is the front yeah. or this is the top. In the main podcast, she did talk a lot about their studio was like. Temperature extremes, because this is one of the this is one of the nuances of those fulfillment center based studios is like if anybody who's ever spent any time in a fulfillment center, you have Hot. to know that HVAC in a fulfillment center is virtually impossible. It's just too big of a building, oh, with too many variables I've- impacting the yeah, It's it's insane. So they have a fan, they turn on a fan and all those post-it notes blow off and now nobody knows that whole rack of product. what's supposed to be what and so there are super interesting production problems to solve when you're shooting stuff that nobody in the room knows what it's supposed to be
1: (laughs) yeah and a lot of times not even the people who you're you're supposed to be working with to figure that out like a lot of I mean at least it was in my experience where customers that were product managers a lot of times would be like oh that's a really good point or wouldn't be thinking about it from a photography Mm. perspective they would be thinking about it from a customer use case perspective so it's like oh uh sh- crap like how do i photograph this it's on the ceiling well we have to shoot it upside down now and now we have to rotate it the opposite direction. it was it would just a lot of different things came along with trying to visualize those types of products
0: by the way thank you for catching yourself but you can say shit on this podcast <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna that's gonna be the most difficult part is catching the swearing <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm going to tell you just a quick story about our studio ONT8 for Amazon where we had most of the hard goods things and I'm just like let's just see what this kind of unlocks from from things that you've worked on as well or the little comparing notes here. So one of the big problems that we had was we went through a period and it always felt like it always felt like we went through periods where like the product we got came in almost like themes or batches, which I guess makes sense for like product ordering. But, right. you know, we'd go through a period where we would get 80 drill bits and then we go through another period where we kept seeing doorknobs come in for like a week. We'd get like 20 or 30 doorknobs every day. And mm-hmm. the doorknobs were a real particular problem for us because I remember they needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> you already Mounted know where in, I'm going. Mount
1: it into a thing, and then they, well, so yeah. we
0: didn't we didn't mount them into a thing, but we did have to assemble them, yeah. And then had to like the style guide was really onerous for doorknobs. Like they wanted just like shots that were like it was so time consuming to shoot them, but we ended up we were having so many problems. We had to do a whole training clinic on how to assemble doorknobs for our samples <laughs> team oh, because yeah. our process. So our process, and this was true of Amazon across the board. It wasn't unique to our studio. But a lot of hands in the peak of product imaging at Amazon, a lot of hands touched a product. You'd have somebody mm-hmm. who was checking it in, a separate person who was like unpacking everything. And right. sometimes that person would also assemble, but sometimes not. And because we were a hard goods studio, we did have to have like these big assembly workstations that have like tools and we're like, we're equipped with things. And we kept getting. These poor, I mean, some of the, so some of the, you know, some of the samples people that we staffed there were like on the younger end. A lot of them were like college students who had really flexible schedules because those was a great job for somebody who was like in school, right? Like I had a handful, a pool of people who were, this guy's available Monday through Wednesday. She's available Wednesday through Friday. And they're not passionate about assembling stuff for product photography. They just need a job. It was fine. We were getting doorknobs that were like Put together in just unfathomable ways, like just so incredibly <laughs> wrong, like not like a round style doorknob, but one of the lever style doorknobs where the oh, lever yeah. was like aim, aiming the upside- wrong direction
1: or upside down where it, the curl goes up versus. Yeah, no, I, I I actually you want to know funny story. I had the same problem and I was working with Brent at the time, who is the studio manager over at Chewy, which Okay. If he's listening to Oh, yeah, to Brent this. Maynard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Brent okay. and I did a project for a company with doorknobs, and he's probably, like, he's probably, like, cringing right now as we're talking about this. But I remember the same exact thing because with spin photography, like, the most work that was coming out of that studio and the reason that we were doing all this work was the 360 because Amazon right. was requiring it and Home Depot was requiring it. Home Depot it, Lowe's, and Lowe's, Lowe's
0: requires the 360s, yeah. E-
1: yes, everybody requires it so that we had to do a lot of these like little brands that those companies sold. And so this doorknob project, we had to mount it, spin it. And we also Mm. had like, and then the customer would see it and they'd be like, well, we want to show like how it goes into the door and everything. So you have, (laughs) so now you have to prop it with a clear prop and then show it and then edit out the prop and then have it rotate. I mean, it was, it was, oddly one of the more complex things but like we also did glass doors for buildings and you know forklifts and all kinds of other things so like it really like we we really took pride in the fact that we had to figure out not only how something is stands upright but how it rotates and what Mm. each image is going to have showcase from the products? And is that going to be accurate to what they're buying at the very end right. point? You know,
0: I want to talk a little bit about the like insane size differential that you can get through in like a hard good studio, because this is something that the fashion studios do not realize that they right. are so lucky. <laughs> fashion studios have tons of their own issues and things to right. consider. Totally. Um, But but a hard good studio. So we had to have I built in my studio what I called an oversized item set that also could function as a flex set. Like I built it in such a way that it could be used to shoot anything, but Mm -hmm. it also had enough space that if we had to shoot a kayak, which we did, we we could, we could potentially do it. Right. And there's another layer of complexity though, when part of your asset deliverable is a 360 spin because Mm -hmm. big items are relatively easy to place and spin properly but small items if you're off by even a centimeter on a small item or a millimeter on a small item your spin you doesn't said, work
1: you, you mentioned drill bits i'll raise you that to a brain camera that i did for a medical company
0: what a, what even is a brain camera
1: it's a camera that you actually like would use Up in a medical nose? setting uh, into the brain yes and i'm not kidding i'm not kidding when i say that you had to see it with a mi- like a magnifying glass we so you actually
0: like you would you Fun. look you look in your product bin and it's like it's not there's nothing in here <laughs> oh no it's in there you need a magnifying glass
1: yes yes and in fact the the company had to be on the phone with us they were like you have to call us when you're going to open these because like it could potentially just <laughs> it could, fly it's away. a piece of rice yeah right? <laughs> it's a piece
0: of rice that could fall out and you'd never notice
1: <laughs> right so we had to put it on the wow. we had to put it on the tip of a pin and rotate the pin and the pin had to be straight otherwise the product would. Yeah, yeah. So, perfectly
0: straight pin, which fun fact about photo studios, there are no straight pins in any photo studios. The only <laughs> no. time you have a straight pin in a photo studio is the day you bought your pins.
1: Well, I had a whole method and I actually developed with a colleague of mine, a way to straighten them both because we had to do golf clubs. This was the really crazy thing when you have to oh like do upright? a golf club spin them up. Right? Yes. And so we had oh to, gosh. we had to keep the bottoms completely straight. And the top completely straight so that it rotated on an axis.
0: Right. And then they decided
1: they didn't want the axis to be on the actual post, but they wanted it to be in the middle of the actual golf head so that the post actually rotates around. But yeah. So (laughs) yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're dropping
0: the pivot point through the head of the golf club.
1: Exactly. So the whole thing had to be like so straight. Otherwise you had to send it every single image to retouching to straighten it. And then the chances that that would be done correctly are so not So how did you solve
0: for that? (laughs) Yeah, how did you solve for that? Because, like, that's that's a ton of math. Every every golf club head is a different size.
1: A very, very intricate system of lasers, both on the ground, to the left, to the right. And you basically did what was called the dot test, but for two different Mm. access points, which, stop me if this becomes so ridiculous and boring.
0: No, I'm... I'm no. We're Caitlin. We are leaning into geeky technical talk right now because this is this is what we do, baby. I'll serve it. Lean into it. it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we did something called the dot test, which was we would use these rotating tables, these robotic photography systems, and we had something called a cube that we could attach a clamp to that clamped Mm. the bottom of the golf club, and then Mm -hmm. we would have to do a dot test, which is basically a piece of paper where you put a dot, you rotate it ninety degrees. You rotate okay. another 90, another 90, another 90. And you're just and checking
0: if that dot's moving.
1: The There's an X. And then you would put yeah. the center point is the center of the X. So you would have to make sure your systems were calibrated properly so that it wasn't going too short or too long. But then after that, you had to make sure that your lasers were correct. So you had to calibrate your lasers. And then you had to do the dot test, which meant that... Right you would have to make sure that access point was accurate. So all of these things had to be working together in order to get a perfect access point for a 360.
0: Give me an example of a day of shooting golf clubs like this. Like how long is it taking you to get through one skew?
1: So golf clubs, you know, golf clubs was at the very beginning. So like, right when I got to snap, I was taught how to do golf clubs as like one of the harder things you had to do. Like there were like chandeliers were one of them.
0: Every, every, every company, every studio has their list of the hard things. Like like, you'll
1: graduate. Yeah. You'll graduate to become good at shooting this. Caitlin, you know, <laughs> we're not going
0: to start you on golf clubs. No way. Get back over to the sandals booth. <laughs> right, right.
1: So because I was one of the first people at the company, besides the two experts had recruited me, I got an install job that I had to do for Golfsmith. And and they were like, okay, teach us how to do this golf club calibration. And so I learned how to do it with you know the laser calibration and the cube calibration. And then I had to, just after learning it, A few Mm. days learning it, I had to go to Goldsmith, teach him how to do it, and then hope to God that it was gonna be enough to to really like get them through a lot of product quickly because that was the whole point was not only can you do 360s but you can do them fast. And so I was able to do that. One of my best customers, I'm still connected with her on LinkedIn, but like, I mean, we had to do this again too for customers that wanted to do bikes or ceiling fans or chandeliers and. I mean, it was always just that double access point and being able to have a completely calibrated system in order to get a perfect rotation. And then hmm. worrying about the lighting and can I turn the shit chandelier on as I'm spinning it? Well, we need how are we gonna have a cord going around as it's like all of these yeah. little tiny things made such a huge difference when it came to like the end result. So like it just was a very unique photography experience for like just trying to get. Through all of the challenges it takes to like be able to create a perfect rotation of something, you know, Yeah. golf clubs took about I would say an hour a piece just so you have that for reference. <laughs> wow. So I answered yeah, your question.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, that's, just, yeah, that's crazy. The, one of the projects that I worked on for Amazon, I don't know, I I have talked about this podcast before, but I don't think you and I have talked about it specifically. But we went to that big home goods show in Vegas that's at that huge convention center at the very North end of the strip, not shop talk. It was like home, man, I don't know the name of it. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up, but it was like, they have that huge three building, like 10 or 12 story convention center at the very North end of the Las Vegas strip. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And there's a huge, like they have a bunch of companies, a bunch of like, like Herman Miller has like a permanent showroom there. And a couple of other companies do, but they also would have these huge home goods shows where like I saw people there that I knew from my days at Smith and Noble when I was working for a home goods company. And we were there as Amazon, we were there as two different photography teams. We had a photographer, an assistant, a digitech, and then like a couple, like that was each each of the core photography teams. And then we had like a couple of, like a producer and a producer's assistant and then like somebody who kind of floated around. And our job was like, We, this was when Amazon was really interested in bringing photography to their customers and the home goods team, the, especially the furniture team in Amazon at the time, they were like flush with budget. Like they were like, yeah, "Yeah, we're going to send all of you. We're all going to go to Vegas and we're going to shoot all this stuff for them. And it's going to be great. Yeah. And holy shit. That was like one (laughs) of the most grueling. It it was two weeks in Vegas, which is, Mm. is, that's about 11 days too long to be in Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) For any reason.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: And we, and it was like 12, 13, 14-hour days. It was August. And we had... Like, the first week was, like, while the show was actually going on, and we were literally moving from booth to booth. We had a list of booths we were supposed to show up to, a list of products we were supposed to shoot, and we set up sets in the middle of this home show. And one of the ones that I did was a patio furniture one, and I literally had to, like— bring my sweep down and then like the edge, one edge of my sweep was actually like encroaching into the taped off walkway. So I had to like cut that edge of it off so that I wasn't technically like in the walkway. And then my camera was on the opposite side of the walkway. So like my assistant and my Digitech were helping move furniture pieces on and off. And I was sitting on the other side waiting for people who were just trying to do their jobs at the home show to pass so that I could take my shot. Oh my God. And then we ended off the second week shooting literally hundreds of clocks for Herman oh, Miller. Wow. Like a room we were in a room full of clocks and that culminated in us shooting having something like over a hundred grandfather clocks we had to shoot. And I literally Caitlin built out of seamless paper, I built a three-way cove wall in order to shoot these grandfather clocks because they had wow. They had high gloss wood that was reflecting everything. They all had chrome Metallic. or gold accents that were reflecting everything. They all had mirror backings behind the counterweights in the main body of it. So you could see everything. You could see the camera and everything. Jeez. And we ended up designing, like, like I wish that I would have known you and could have called you and said, bring me a turntable. Because we ended up actually building turntables out of furniture dollies plywood and white seamless paper so that what what we what we decided to do was we were like this is insane to have these two we actually had two Herman Miller employees who are moving the grandfather clocks because we were like mm-hmm. we are not trying to move these. And what we ended up doing was we built a bunch of these platforms that were on furniture dollies that were already covered in white paper. We asked those guys, just move them onto these dollies. And we built enough that we could move an entire dolly on set and then move it offset. And so that way we could also turn the clocks and even shoot them. Because the first clock we got on set without the dolly, we're like, okay, we're supposed to do a front shot. We're supposed to do a side angle shot. We're supposed to do a back shot. We're supposed to do a straight on side shot.
1: Yeah, you guys should have called us. They couldn't move the clocks at all. That's wild. I mean, it's wild that you were asked to do that without an like a actual like turntable with a motor. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't that would take so long.
0: Caitlin, that's all the time we have. This is going to be probably a little. I know we have some editing we got to do here, but a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of a long episode. <laughs> but, but no, I I feel really lucky and fortunate to have you as my coworker at Creative Force. Somebody with your vast experience in a very specific and unique way of working, it really complements the rest of the people on the Creative Force team that have. I think we've done a really smart job of hiring people with sort of diverse studio backgrounds. Because even though you and I align close on some things. I was still in-house for retailers and brands and you were working for a contractor traveling around doing a lot of various projects. And it's, we cover a broad range of experience that I think is a really a good thing for our customers.
1: Yeah, totally. I know I feel the same way. I, I feel like I'm, like living a little bit of a goofy dream here. Cause I I'm a big fan of this podcast and I really enjoy listening to the topics that, and I, I want to talk about all kinds of things, but I know it's going to be a long one. So I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to have me on. It's just been so fun and great to work with you.
0: that's it for this episode many thanks to our guests caitlin andrews and thanks to you for listening the show is produced by creative force edited by calvin lands special thanks to sean o'mira and ian i'm your host daniel jester until next time my friends